they've been married for 30 years. He's a pioneer of Catholic lay evangelization, and she has a master's degree in theology. Put on the coffee and get ready to open the scriptures. It's time for Bible with the Barbers. Now, here's Terry and Mary Danielle. Welcome. Welcome to Bible with the Barber on Friday. Today is January the 5th. It is the first Friday of the month of January in the year 2024. It's the first Friday of the year. So let's honor the Sacred Heart of Jesus on this first Friday. Remember to go to Mass if you are able. Make a visit to Jesus in the Blessed Sacrament. Go to Confession and um, make reparation to Jesus. He said to St. Margaret Mary, Behold this heart which has so loved men and has been so loved, has been loved so little in return. Let us love him with all our hearts and minds and souls. He is God made man. He has a heart. He desires that we should love him. So we want to talk today about the gospel reading from today, which is from the the gospel of John. Um, John 1. I'm sorry. Yeah, John 1, 43 to 51. And we should start with a prayer. It's Friday at noon, we'll pray the Angelus in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. The angel of the Lord declared unto Mary, and she conceived by the Holy Spirit. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death, amen. Behold the handmaid of the Lord, be it done to me according to thy word. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. And the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Pray for us, O Holy Mother of God, that we may be made worthy of the promises of Christ. Let us pray. Pour forth, we beseech you, O Lord, thy grace into our hearts, that we to whom the incarnation of Christ thy Son was made known by the message of an angel, may by his passion and cross be brought to the glory of his resurrection through the same Christ our Lord. Amen. We ask God to give us the light of the Holy Spirit. O God, who by the light of the Holy Spirit did instruct the hearts of the faithful, grant that in the same Spirit we may be truly wise and ever rejoice in his consolation. Through Christ our Lord, amen. And we ask the angels to join us here. Sanctus, Sanctus, Sanctus Dominus, Deus Sabaot, Pleni Sun Terra, Gloria Tua, Hosanna in excelsis. Benedictus qui venit in nomine domini, Hosanna in excelsis. The angels are the first creatures that God made. In the beginning, when God said, let there be light, um, according to the fathers of the church, God created the angels. And when he separates the light from the darkness, he has to separate the angels who chose to follow God and remain faithful, the good angels, from the bad angels who were darkness because they rejected God. So we ask the angels, the good angels, always to help us and protect us and help us to do God's will as they did. Winged obedience, winged obedience. So John 1, 
starting with verse 43, and I'm reading this out of the um, Ignatius Study Bible. The next day, Jesus decided to go to Galilee, and he found Philip and said to him, follow me. Now, Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. Philip found Nathanael and said to him, we have found him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nathanael said to him, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Philip said to him, come and see. Jesus saw Nathanael coming to him, and he said to him, Behold an Israelite, indeed, in whom is no guile. Nathanael said to him, How do you know me? Jesus answered him, Before Philip called you, I saw you under the fig tree. Nathanael answered him, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. Jesus answered him, Because I have said I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe? You shall see greater things than these. And he said to him, Truly, truly, I say to you, you will see the heavens opened and the angels of God ascending and descending upon the Son of Man. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Jesus Christ. Well, Nathaniel says, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. Why? Because Jesus said, I saw you under your fig tree before Nathaniel, before Philip called you. There you were sitting under your fig tree and I saw you. That's interesting. What was it about sitting under his fig tree that triggered in Nathaniel's mind this confession that you are the son of God. Now, is this confession the same as Peter's confession where Peter says, um, you are the Christ, the son of the living God? Well, it's interesting. The, the, father, the church explains to us in the catechism, paragraph, well, it's number 441 um, in section three on the profession of faith, the only son of God. In the Old Testament, son of God is a title given to the angels. It's given to the chosen people, the children of Israel, and their kings. It is, It signifies an adoptive sonship that establishes a relationship of particular intimacy between God and his creatures. When the promised Messiah King is called Son of God, it does not necessarily imply that he was more than human, according to the literal meaning of these texts. Those who called Jesus, Son of God, as the Messiah of Israel, perhaps meant nothing more than this. So you have, you can cross-reference 1 Chronicles 17, 13, Psalm 2, 7, Matthew 27, 54, and Luke 23, 47, that saying that he is the Son of God is not necessarily professing his divinity. This is in the beginning of his public ministry. The apostles don't fully know him yet, but Nathaniel recognizes him as the Messiah, the son of God. Well, how is this? Well, it's interesting because Jesus's phrase, what he says to Nathaniel, right? He says, 
Before Philip called you when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Is there anything in the scripture that would help us to understand? Well, it, just to give you the commentary from Scott Hahn and Curtis Mitch here, the titles, you know, Son of God and King of Israel, closely connected in ancient Israel were where King David and his successors are called the sons of the Lord, the sons of Yahweh, the Lord. So in 2 Samuel 7, 14, and in Psalm 2, 7, and in Psalm 89, 26, and 27. Unlike his Davidic predecessors, however, Jesus is the son of God by nature. It is his nature. He's God's only Son, his, unbe- his, his only begotten Son, eternal and co-equal with the Father. He is truly God, truly God. And not by a covenant of divine adoption. So, yeah, the king was the Son of God by covenant of divine adoption. The Israelites were sons of God by covenant of divine adoption. The angels are sons of God by covenant of divine adoption. But Jesus is the Son of God by nature. And that's, we have, you know, Simon's confession of faith. When Simon says to Jesus, he is the Christ, the Son of the living God, because Jesus responds, flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. So, um, again, you know, Simon makes a confession that the Father has revealed to him by the power of the Holy Spirit that this is truly his son. Remember, the, the Jews didn't understand what the Trinity was. Jesus comes to reveal to us that God is his father, that God is father to all of us because he has a son from all eternity. As God, he has a son. The word, and the word became flesh and lived among us. So what, what prompted Nathaniel's response Well, um, Nathaniel speaks from his knowledge of the Old Testament that he was called while sitting under the fig tree recalls how neighbors will invite one another under their fig tree in the Messianic age. And that's in the book of Zechariah. And it's in Zechariah 3.10. But in Zechariah 3, just before verse 10, um. Zechariah, I'm in Zechariah, yeah. For behold, upon the stone which I have set before Joshua, upon a single stone with seven facets, I will engrave its inscription, says the Lord of hosts, and I will remove the guilt of this land in a single day. In that day, says the Lord of hosts, every one of you will invite his neighbor under his vine and under his fig tree. So, in Zechariah, you have the priest, Joshua, restoring the temple. And um, the angel of the Lord enjoined Joshua. So that, thus says the Lord of hosts, If you will walk in my ways and keep my ch- charge, then you shall rule my house and have charge of my courts. And I will give you the right of access among those who are standing here. And we're going to have to take a break. I hear that music. Don't go away. We'll be right back. And um, thank you for joining us on Bible with the Barbers and tell all your friends and family to get the app and join us. And thank you to the radio station for picking us up. 
Now, back to Bible with the Barbers. If you have a question or comment, call 888-526-2151. Here's Terry and Mary Danielle. Thank you for joining us on Bible with the Barber. <laughs> Terry's not with me in the studio today. So here we are. We're talking about the gospel reading for today, which was from the Gospel of John, chap- verse, verse, excuse me, chapter 1, verses 43 through 51. And Nathaniel recognizes that Jesus is um, the Messiah, the Son of God, by being told that he was seen, that Jesus had seen him under his fig tree. So, in, and I pointed out that that's from Zechariah 3.10, where in Zechariah 3.10 it said that um, in those days, the days of the Messiah, you know, that every one of you will invite his neighbor under his vine and under his fig tree. And so this, this hope was linked with the Messiah's coming. There was, um, in, they, they, they were waiting for this royal branch who was a messianic figure. And he's mentioned in um, Zechariah 3, 8, and in 6, 11 through 13. And that's what I was reading to you just before the break. So we have, um, he's, the, the angel is talking to the priest, Joshua, who is restoring the temple. And he says, O Joshua, the high priest, you and your friends who sit before you, for they are men of good omen. Behold, I will bring my servant the branch. I will bring my servant the branch. And then again in Zechariah 6, 11 through 13, the branch is mentioned. Thus says the Lord of hosts, behold the man whose name is branch, for he shall grow up in his place and he shall build the temple of the Lord. So this is this messianic figure who's going to restore to Israel the proper worship. And again, you know, granted, the people didn't always understand that this was primarily about worship and putting God in the right place in their lives and um, making sure that God was first and that he was worshiped and adored the way he should be worshiped and adored. But time would teach them. Okay, time would teach them. And it, it uh, Scott Hahn and Curtis Mitch go on to comment that, uh, that this um, branch and messianic figure mentioned by Zechariah was modeled on Zechariah's contemporary Zerubbabel, who rebuilt the temple after the exile. Okay. So, and then you have what? When, um, when Philip called Nathaniel and he said, Jesus of Nazareth. And Nathaniel says, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Nazareth was very insignificant as far as the Jews were concerned. Nazareth was in Galilee and remember, Galilee was referred to as Galilee of the heathens because there were a lot of non-Jewish people living in Galilee. So it's like, well, Galilee, what's going to, you know, Nazareth, you know, there's nothing significant can come out of there. And yet we have that, the mention of Jesus' hometown, it's, it's, it suggests a connection with Isaiah 11.1. 1. And in the prophet Isaiah chapter 11, Verse 1, the prophet Isaiah says, There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse, and a branch shall grow out of his roots. A branch shall grow out of his roots. And um, Dr. Hahn and and, um, Mitch 
um, Curtis Mitch here explained that this um, reference here to this branch, this Hebrew tomb, Netzer, Netzer, which means a branch, it is linked to the word Nazareth. So Nathaniel, all of this suddenly comes together in Nathaniel's mind. Wait a minute. He's from Nazareth. And then Jesus says to him, I saw you under the fig tree. And he's like, wait, 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 wait. Nazareth, Netzer, the branch, the fig tree. I was called under the fig tree. And he, it, it all comes together in his mind. And, and he recognizes that, that Jesus is this messianic branch and the royal son of God. Now, in, at that moment, probably he didn't recognize the divinity of Jesus, but he recognizes that he's the Messiah and the Messiah has come. And so he follows Jesus. And, um, you know, the rest of the passage, it's, it's beautiful. We have the, and St. Augustine says that this, this um, shade of the fig tree is the shadow of, the, of sin and death. So Nathaniel represents the church. This is set allegorically. This is what St. Augustine is saying allegorically, that here we have, um, you know, the shade of the fig tree is the shadow of sin and death. Nathaniel is the church who is known in advance by the mercy of God, cleansed of all guilt and impurity and summoned by the apostles to come forth from darkness to live in the light. And I think this is so critical for us to recognize and realize right now in our time. Um, Bishop Sheen once referred to the fact that, you know, in the West, we have Christ, but we don't want him on the cross. We only want a glorious Christ who didn't suffer. Whereas in the East, under communism, they have the cross, they have suffering, they have persecution, but they don't have Christ because Christ has been replaced with the state. God himself, the Trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit have been replaced with the state. So, you know, which is it? Is it, is it the cross without Christ or is it Christ without the cross? Or is it that Christ must always remain with his cross? You know, I remember being in the hospital when I had my appendicitis when I was 19. And one of the people, because I was there for 25 days after surgery, I had several roommates. And one of them was the mother of a Protestant minister. And it was a Catholic hospital. So there was a cross on the wall, a crucifix. And she said, why do you still have Jesus on the cross? He's not dying anymore. He's in heaven. And I have no idea. I was 19 years old. I don't remember what I said to her or what I explained. But now I would say, because we never want to forget. Jesus really suffered and died for us. And by the way, even though he doesn't suffer anymore in eternity, you know, the victim who immolated himself lives for all eternity, that act of immolated love. If you read Revelation 5, the lamb who is standing before the Lord, who is standing before God, the Father, still bears his scars. He still has his scars in heaven. Yes, he's glorified and he's not still dying. And no, we Catholics do not believe that we crucified Jesus at mass. We believe that at mass, time and space do not exist. And we become true witnesses of his death through an unbloody representation of the mystery by the separate consecration of the bread and the wine. When the bread is consecrated, it really becomes the risen, glorified body, blood, 
soul, and divinity of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. The same body that he offered on the cross, but is now glorified and risen from the dead. And we believe that the chalice, which contains the wine, the wine with the water in it is changed into the risen, glorified, whole Christ, body, blood, soul, and divinity, that he is completely and entirely present under the smallest particle of either species. What does species mean? It means appearance. The appearance of bread and wine remain after the consecration. The taste of bread and wine remain after the consecration. The accidents of bread and wine remain after the consecration. But there is no bread and there is no wine. It's truly our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, risen and glorified. He has died and we don't forget that. He truly died on the cross, but he truly rose from the dead and ascended into heaven and is now glorified his father's right hand. He still bears his scars and he still makes intercession for us. The victim who immolated himself lives for all eternity, this act of immolated love. And so we have this greater insight of time and, and space. And we understand that God is outside of time. And because he's outside of time, Time is one continuum. It's one moment to God. A thousand years are as a day and a, a day is as a thousand years because God is outside of time. There's no time in eternity. You know, we say, I was reading something the other day and they, they said eternal time. No, it's, there's no eternal time. Time is a creature. <laughs> time is a creature that God made for, for time. <laughs> time will cease. In the end, there will be eternity. And in eternity, you have heaven and hell. That's it. You know, after death, we have judgment and then there's either heaven or hell. And, you know, are we living in God's will? Are we being faithful to the Lord? Are we giving up sin? We've been called out of darkness into his marvelous light. And that means to live without sin. And yes, he really does give us the power and the ability to live without sin, to overcome sin in our life, no matter what has happened to us. You know, it's a tragedy in our world. People don't want to live in reality. They want to make up their own reality and change reality. That's not honesty. And that doesn't please God. God, there's no deception in God. Remember the act of faith? Oh my God, I firmly believe that thou art one God in three divine persons, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. I believe that thy divine son became man and died on the cross for our sins and that he shall come again to judge the living and the dead. I believe these and all the truths which the Holy Catholic Church teaches because thou, O God, hast revealed them who can neither deceive nor be deceived. God cannot deceive and he cannot be deceived. When we refuse to live in reality, we are deceiving ourselves. We are capable of almost infinite deception. It takes us a lot of prayer, a lot of hard work to recognize just how sinful we are and how much we need God's help. You know, we can't conceive of any good. We can't carry on any good without God's help. It is God who inspires us any measure of desire or accomplishment, the scripture tells us. Only God is good. Jesus asked the young man, why do you call me good? Only God is good. He's asking the young man, do you recognize that I'm God? 
are you calling me good because I'm a teacher and, and you recognize that I'm trying to teach according to God's will? And so God is good and only God can help us to be good. We need his help and we need to pray every day. You know, people used to ask Mother Teresa, what is your secret? How do you do this? How do you? She said, my secret is simple. I pray. Prayer is union with God. It's that seeking union with God. It's living in God's presence and being present to God and allowing him to be present to us and not edging him out of our life. What was it? I think Jesse said the other day on, on the Terry and Jesse show, or, or uh, he said, ego, what does it stand for? Edging God out of our life. You know, E-G-O, edging God out. Is that what we're doing? And that's what we do when we make ourselves the center of the universe, by the way. I this, and I that, and I the other thing. I, 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 I. And as Father Walter Chiswick wrote in his book, He Leadeth Me, I have eye trouble. I hear the music again. We'll be back with more on Bible with the Barbers. And we want to look at scripture and how we can live this life of fidelity to the Lord in union with Jesus Christ. Again, this show will be be transferring to 10 a.m. on Fridays. I'll still be on, but 10 a.m. on Fridays. Don't go away. We'll be right back. Now, back to Bible with the Barbers. If you have a question or comment, call 888-526-2151. Here's Terry and Mary Danielle. Welcome. Welcome back to Bible with the Barbers on this Friday, January the 5th. It is the first Friday of the month of January. That's the first Friday of the year 2024. Maybe make this your New Year's resolution. You will keep the nine first Fridays this year. Begin today. Go to Mass if you're able. Go to Mass and receive Holy Communion. If you're not able to receive Holy Communion, go to Confession first. Ask the priest to hear your confession so that you can go to Mass and receive Holy Communion. And honor that in reparation to Jesus' most sacred heart for the indifference which with he is treated. Behold this heart which has so loved man and been loved so little in return. So we're talking today about you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. Jesus, Nathaniel's confession of faith in Jesus's Messiahship, probably not fully understanding that he's, he's divine at this point. Remember, this is the beginning of the gospel of John. This is the beginning of the public ministry of Jesus. Um, John fills in a lot of details that aren't in the synoptic gospels. John's gospel is so different, not because it's not historical. John's gospel is so different because John was familiar with the three synoptic gospels and all of the stories they had already related. And he didn't want to repeat anything unnecessarily. And one of the details that was not included in the synoptic gospels is that the public life of our Lord was three years long. And it's only in carefully reading the gospel of John and studying it that we realize that the public life of our Lord is three years long because Jesus goes up to Jerusalem three times for the feast of Passover in the gospel of John in separate sections of the gospel. So there's this progression of years in the gospel of John as it's interesting because uh, some scholars like to say that the gospel of John is the ethereal one, the way that way up there in the air, that's all beyond us. And, and yet uh, I had a professor who taught the gospel of John. It was a believing Jesuit father Richardson. God bless him. God have mercy on his soul. He's gone now. But um, Father Richardson said, John's gospel, what does he do? He contrasts light and darkness, life and death, 
fire and water. He, he, he tells time. He tells time. He tells details like Jesus gave Judas the morsel and Judas went out. It was night. Oh, yeah. Well, it was night. It was, you're having the last, you know, it's like, no, it's always night. Bishop Sheen says when we turn away from the Lord, when we allow Satan to invade our heart. So I said, you know, this, this gospel of John, how do we remain faithful? How do we do um, where, you know, Nathaniel makes his confession of faith and then he follows the Lord and he stays faithful. And the, 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 the whole gist of it is that we are to turn away from our old lives, turn away from our life of sin and turn fully to the Lord and allow him to work in and through us to accomplish the good that he desires. So, the first reading from today's mass, which by the way, the readings, first reading for today, the masses of this whole week, um, um, between uh, Christmas and Epiphany are from the first letter of John. And what does he say in the reading that we had for today? John, one John, first letter of John, chapter three, verses 11 through 21. And he says this, for this is the message which you heard from the beginning, that we should love one another and not be like Cain, who was the evil, who was of the evil one and murdered his brother Abel. Cain, who was of the evil one and murdered his brother Abel. And why did he murder him? Because his own deeds were evil and his brothers were righteous. Why did they put Jesus to death? Because, you know, why do we want Jesus to die? <laughs> because sometimes our deeds are evil and, and Jesus is righteous and we, we don't like the, the conscience, you know, bugging us. It's like, well, if he'd just get out of here, our conscience wouldn't bug us. Well, it doesn't work that way. Do not wonder, brethren, that the world hates you. Do not wonder, brethren, that the world hates you. We know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brethren. He who does not love remains in death. Anyone who hates his brother is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for our brethren. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet chooses, but closes his heart to him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or in speech, but in deed and in truth. By this we shall know that we are of the truth and reassure our hearts before him. Whenever our hearts condemn us, for God is greater than our hearts, and he knows everything. Beloved, if our hearts do not condemn us, we have confidence before God. So what is the message? Love. Love alone creates, as St. Maximilian Kolbe would say. Well, what is this thing about? For this is the message which you had from the beginning, that we should love one another and not be like Cain, who was of the evil one and murdered his brother Abel. Well, it says the only direct reference in the Old Testament, this is the only direct reference to the Old Testament in 1 John, okay? This is the only direct reference where Cain murders his brother Abel, right? 
The action of Cain constitutes the first example of fraternal hatred in the Bible. It's in Genesis 4, 1 through 16. He envies Abel because Abel was good. And what does that envy mirror? It mirrors the devil's envy of Adam. How do we know that? Read Wisdom 2, 24. So the murderous act that ensued made him a child of the devil, the devil who was a murderer from the beginning. John, the Gospel of John 8, 44, remember Jesus said the devil was a liar and a murderer from the beginning? John is saying that hatred among fellow Christians is on a par with homicide. Anyone who hates and, you know, it's funny because it, it, it not only kills the person, you know, if you if hatred can kill the person that you hate, but it, it kills us, too. When we allow hatred to eat at our hearts, we are called to love our brethren. And, you know, this calls, we're called to love our enemies. Jesus said, love those who persecute you and pray for them. Pray for them. Do we pray for the people who have hurt us? Do we pray for the per- people who have hurt our family members? We honestly need to make an effort to pray for those who have hurt us and those who may continue to hurt us. You know, there's a lot of wounded people out there in the world. There's a lot of people who grew up without necessarily a a stable family. People who grew up in an environment of confusion and chaos and maybe drug abuse or maybe, you know, um, uh, you know, uh, they saw addiction among the, uh, in their parents and they saw that their parents didn't get along and their parents fought and eventually the parents divorced and the family is broken and it's torn apart. But it was falling apart. It was being torn apart piece by piece the whole time they were growing up. So they develop defense mechanisms and sometimes those defense mechanisms can turn into mental illness, schizophrenia, bipolar, other things. And um, there's a difference between emotional woundedness and mental illness. I just want to throw that out there that, you know, psychology, this isn't, we're a creature composed of body, soul, and spirit. But um, it's interesting because um, Carl Menninger in his book, Whatever Became of Sin, he claimed that 90% of all the mental illness he was familiar with was traceable to the loss of sense of sin. So here is Cain. and, And what happened with Cain? God tells Cain, he said, Cain, sin is lurking at the door, but you can be its master. God warns Cain because he knows what Cain's planning, Cain is planning to do. He's going to kill Abel because he's jealous of Abel. Because God, because Abel is good and Cain has wickedness in his heart. He has this hatred, this jealousy, this, I want Abel's goodness, but I'm going to, I, I don't have it, so I'm going to destroy it. We have to be careful. Each of us has to examine ourselves. Do we have the same attitude towards someone who's hurt us? You know, I'm going to cut that person out of my life. I don't need that negative energy. I don't need that negativity in my life. Well, how about um, Jesus forgave our sins and forgives our sins every time we ask? Are we willing to forgive? And there's, you know, our emotions, it's not just about feelings, by the way, okay? If someone does you an injustice and you feel angry and it's a real injustice, it's not just your pride that's hurt. And that's what we always have to look at. We do have to examine that. But if someone's done a real injustice against you or a family member, you should feel angry. If you see injustice, one of the fathers of the church once wrote, and you don't feel anger, you're not human. (laughs) There's something wrong. We have emotions. 
And the emotion of anger is given to us by God to correct injustice. Now, we're not supposed to use the emotion of anger like you see in the movies where they're tearing things apart and throwing people across the, the universe and, and, and smashing them against whatever. No, that's, that's not the proper response, okay? When an injustice is done, I have to stop and say, okay, can I correct this injustice? Is it my place to correct this injustice? If it is my place and I can correct it, what is the proper means and the proper measure to correct the injustice? Bishop Sheen tells the story of a, um, a woman who was, uh, she had become Christian and um, she and her husband both knew, they had a friend who was a Nazi and he was going around killing Jews and he came to visit the husband one day and, and he talked about, that the husband was trying to convince him that God could forgive him of his sins so he would repent. And, and the guy said, look, he said, no, I've killed so many people. It's just God, God, he can't do anything for me anymore. And, and the guy says, look, um, have you been to this village? Have you been to this area in Germany? Yes. Um, have you been to this village? Yes. Did you kill any Jews there? I killed them all. Really? Yeah. Okay. My wife hasn't heard this conversation and I'm going to call her. So he calls his wife and his wife comes in and he says, I want you to meet the man who killed your mother, your father, your brothers and sisters, and all your relatives. And the woman looked at him and she says, as Jesus forgave him, get forgives you, so I forgive you. And I'll finish the story on the other side of this break. So don't go away. We'll be back with more. Remember to support Virgin Most Powerful Radio. You can call 877-526-2151. Thank you to the radio stations who pick us up. Thank you for all the social media platforms. And thank you to all of those of you who share this with your friends and family and let them know about the app. Now, back to Bible with the Barbers. If you have a question or comment, call 888-526-2151. Here's Terry and Mary Danielle. Welcome back to Bible with the Barber. On Friday, the 5th of January, 2024, first Friday... Um, so we're talking here about love one another, um, the gospel of John for today, the reading for today from mass and the first letter of John, the first reading for today's mass. So we were talking about Cain and what happened there. So, um, you know, uh, Cain killed his brother Abel out of jealousy and what happens if an injustice has been done. And I was telling you the story about you know, how do we know the proper means, the proper measure? Is it my place to correct the injustice? You know, what is my, what's the proper response? So this, this woman, she, she's told that her, this man that's standing in front of her, this Nazi has killed her father and her mother, her brothers and sisters and all of her relatives. And she looks at him and she says, as Jesus forgives you, I forgive you. And, um, he just, he, and she gives him a hug and whoa, um, you know, yeah, this is serious. God really can forgive sins. Now, we human beings have a hard time sometimes because we don't have full dominion over our emotions necessarily. And especially in our day and age, because what's happened is we live by emotion. We don't live by reason anymore. There was a time when people were actually using their reason to guide and direct their emotions. But now it's more like, oh, we let our, guy, our emotions guide and direct us. They, well, this is not being fully human. Our emotions are supposed to be guided and directed by our reason. Our reason is supposed to know God is the true good whom we are supposed to choose. 
God is the good we were made to choose. And our will was made to love the true good, to love God, the source of all good, the source of all life. And so this woman's response to, you know, her her anger, her just anger at the fact that this man commit this heinous crime of killing all these people was to say, Jesus forgives you. And I'm not going to demand justice because I'm a sinner too. And I want to be forgiven and I forgive you. And so the man was able to accept the mercy of God because (laughs) the person he had hurt very badly was able to say, I do forgive you. And there's so many stories like that. You know, we have Immaculate in our time who was survived the Rwanda genocide. And she went back to Rwanda and preached that we have to forgive. You know, Corey Ten Boom after the war, her, her sister Betsy and her father died in the concentration camp. And, and Corey goes around Germany preaching forgiveness. We have to forgive the Nazis for what they did. We have to forgive them. And, and one night after she'd preached this sermon on, on forgiveness, this man walked up to her and he said, she said, she said, she says, and this is in her book, Tramp for the Lord. She said, he didn't know me, but I knew him. He had been a guard in the prison camp and he had almost beat me to death once. And I looked at him and everything in me wanted to turn away. And he was telling me how, you know, he had been a guard at the concentration camps and could God forgive him? And she wanted to turn away her feeling, her righteous anger. But in that moment, she overcame it. And she said, I realized in that moment, she had the grace to realize if I turn away from him, everything I preach tonight is meaningless. And she said, yes, God can forgive you and I forgive you. She said, there's no way he could have known who I was. He didn't realize. But God knew. (laughs) and she forgave him. So we have to work at it. You know, if people have hurt us or our family members, pray, pray for the people who hurt us, pray for the people who persecute us. If someone's hurt you or a family member, if someone's currently hurting you or a family member, pray for them every day. Say a couple Hail Marys for them. Make a sacrifice. Give up something you like for them. Jesus, I'll make this sacrifice for them. Jesus, I do it for love of you, for the conversion of sinners and in reparation for the sins committed against the Immaculate Heart of Mary and for the conversion of this person who is hurting people. You know, when people have grown up in these broken families and they're wounded, they go through life um, in a defensive kind of way. Terry had me read an article this morning in uh, The Word Among Us uh, for January of 2024. And it's this lady tells the story of how, you know, we wear masks. She grew up in an alcoholic a family where there was mental illness, she, she says. And um, the deal was, so she grew up with these defense mechanisms and hurtful behaviors where she realized that even though she didn't become an alcoholic, she had some of the same behaviors as her alcoholic father and the way he treated people. And it took her years, and it wasn't until their children began to become teenagers. She was married to a very loving man who loved her very much, and the children began to become teenagers, and all of a sudden they realize the children are displaying the same kind of behaviors that I taught them through my behavior of abusing people emotionally. And so um, she got into a program, and I don't remember what it was called, but it's in The Word Among Us. It's a little uh, missalette kind of 
leaflet that you can get. And it has this story in there about masks, wearing masks, how we wear masks. And um, she said she went, there was a program that she went to and she, she went through it three times <clears throat> to help her to learn to change her behaviors, to no longer be controlled by that past abusive behavior that she received as a child growing up in an alcoholic family. And um, in, a, in a family where one of her parents was alcoholic. And so, um, you know, it takes time. It takes hard work. But if we're willing to do the hard work, there is healing and health and wholeness. And then we don't continue to abuse our children. You know, it's unfortunately like women who've had abortions. It's really sad. They either become overprotective or abusive toward their children that they do have. This is This is a constant theme among them. And many of them who have realized that, you know, they've repented of their abortion and they, they talk about it and they realize that, and some of them were forced into it. It wasn't that they chose to have an abortion. So many women, you know, oh, it's a woman's choice. Well, you know what? Uh, I'd say 80% perhaps of women, because eight out of 10, if you show them an ultrasound of their baby, even if they've scheduled an abortion, they'll cancel it. So most of them are not choosing to kill their child. They don't want to, they want an answer to a problem. But what happens is it, it, it disrupts your psyche. You've killed your own child and you know it. And, and you're sad and you're angry. And why didn't someone help me? Why didn't someone stop me? Why didn't someone support me? And sometimes it's their husband or their boyfriend or their parents who force them, who take them to the abortion clinic and force them. Well, how angry do you think they feel inside? And they're right, they're right to feel the anger. But what do you do with it? Do you let the anger destroy you and eat you up? Or do you say, you know what, Lord, I have this anger because of this injustice and I want to get past this. I want to learn how to file the past in the past. And I want to learn how to recognize and renounce the evil and forgive those without allowing them to continue to abuse me who have hurt me. You don't have to live in an abusive relationship. You can set up boundaries and say, no, you can't abuse me anymore. You need to change your behavior. You need to get counseling. You need to get therapy. You need to find a way to stop using your past, the way you grew up, the hurt you had as a child, the neglect you experienced as a child as an excuse to treat people badly. And, and there have been heinous crimes committed against people, and I know that. But let's work toward forgiveness, and that's what prayer is about. We have to love one another. In this reading from John, it doesn't just talk about Cain and Abel. It says, we know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brethren. He who does not love remains in death. So if we want to pass out of the death of sin into life, we need to learn to love and ask for the grace to love. That doesn't mean we have to allow people to abuse us, but we need to learn to beg for the grace for the people who abuse us, that they be healed, that God will send someone into their life and protect us from them. You know, was that that line in, in that fiddler on the roof? You know, Rabbi, is there a prayer for the czar? Yes, God bless the czar and keep, us, keep him far from us, you know, <laughs> so that he doesn't do what he did in the end where they drive him out of the village, you know, drive him out of their homes and, and they have to run and go somewhere else. But yeah, I love this person but I don't like their behavior and I don't have to put up with their behavior and I will pray for them, but I don't have to allow them to abuse me. And I need to find a way to change my life and change my way of thinking, 
change my internal dialogue. There's a lot of work that has to be done to root out all that injustice and to properly categorize it and then recognize what I can change, what I can't change, and how I can make go forward in God's love. And that's how we go forward is in God's love. And that's why, you know, the foundation of the, of the spiritual life is living in the presence of God. Jesus said, pray always, not just once in a while, not occasionally, you know, not three times a day. He said, always, always. We do have a positive command to pray always. So if we're not praying every day and not striving to live in the presence of God, we're not listening to Jesus. Prayer is our lifeline. Because in prayer, we enter into conversation with God. And in prayer, God can heal us. He can heal the wounds of the past. Come to Jesus in the Blessed Sacrament. Bring your wounds to him. Acknowledge how much your wounds have hurt your children, yourself, your husband, your spouse, your religious community, the people around you, your neighbors. Usually it's people who are closest to us. Oftentimes, wounded people can be very nice to strangers and, and very seemingly kind and tremendously charitable. But when it comes to people who are close to them, the people they have to live with, they're constantly attacking, attacking, attacking because they're fighting against all these traumas and wounds that they received as a child. Therapy can help. And and EMDR therapy, it's an eye movement therapy. Dr. Francine Shapiro was the one who discovered it. So try and find an EMDR therapist who's been trained by Dr. Francine Shapiro, ask. Um, you know, traumas, the Brain Training Institute um, helps people overheal, overcome traumas and heal traumas. We, we need to learn because <laughs> trauma is registered in every cell of our body. And we're not just a soul. We're a body, soul, and spirit component. And we have to learn to bring our bodies alongside You know, our intellect can know that God is the good and our will can be choosing God, but our bodies can rebel against because the body feels like it's, it's so deprived. It hasn't known love, especially if it's grown up in an abusive situation or or a traumatic situation. So I hear the music. This show is coming to an end. I want to again, remind you that Bible with the Barbers will be moving to 10 a.m. on Fridays on Virgin Most Powerful Radio. Same day, same station, but different time, 10 a.m. Thank you for those of you who support us. 877-526-2151 if you can make a donation today. To all of our listeners, our volunteers, our benefactors, the radio stations that pick us up. Thank you, Stations of the Cross and all the little affiliates that do pick us up and carry our signal. And um, thank you, all of you who have the app, who have shared this with your family and friends. Continue to share it. Encourage them to... um, Come along and uh, thank you. Okay, so we continue to um, thank you for your help and support. And remember to tell others about Virgin Most Powerful Radio. We'll be back next week.